You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by guest speaker Daniel Kim. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. I just wanted to direct us. If you guys have your Bibles, could you please turn to Exodus chapter 31? And once you get there, could you please just, you know, stand up just so that I get a visual confirmation that we're all literally on the same page, but also we want to honor the word of God going forth. You know, at a, at a wedding, when the bride walks through the center, you know, everybody stands and they kind of like watch her as she goes. And we're going to kind of do that with the word of God. We're going to, we're going to stand in, in honor of the word passing. By the way, you guys know that's why it's called a passage, right? Because it's, it's something that you're supposed to walk through. Um, oh, so that was, that wasn't part of the message. That was free. Um, but Exodus chapter 31. Okay. Everybody's standing. It's going to seem really random of a passage. Okay. Like really random, but nothing in the word of God is random. Um, not even genealogies. We're not going to get into that today. But Exodus chapter 31, uh, and I'll read from verse 1, okay? The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I failed him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. Everyone say artistic design. To work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you, the tent of meeting. God's talking about the uh, tabernacle that's going to be with the Israelites. We'll get into that a little bit soon. Verse 7, the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils and the pure lampstand with all of its utensils, the altar of the incense and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his sons for the service as priests and the anointing oil and the fragrance incense for the holy place. According to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Everyone say Sabbath. Sabbath. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that, sh- that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days, this is really important to God. He keeps repeating it, right? It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking. With him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. This is the word of God. Let's, let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we really need your spirit among us. We need your spirit not only to speak your word, but your spirit in our hearts to receive. Lord, we pray that, you know, whatever we walked into this place within our hearts, whether it's any fear, anxiety, any worries or struggles, it might even be a good thing that's distracting us. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do only that which you can do, that you would once again direct us to you. You would give us a surrendered heart to you. And just as we sang earlier, God, more of you, less of us, less of me. Thy heart is only possible if your spirit is in us, God. So would you come? We welcome you now. Do whatever you want. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I remember one day, there was like a leadership type meeting. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I used to be at Promise Church at Reacts. And uh, recently stepped down. The Lord has called uh, my wife and I to a season of sabbatical. And and uh, thinking back, there was a leadership meeting where we're all getting together. And we're talking about like how to mix things up for, for like a prayer meeting that we had every week. It's called Bethel. We want to try something new and to kind of like shake things up. I was like, hey, let's do something like artsy. Let's do something with crayons and with paper and let's go through, you know, uh, the Psalms and let's talk about how the Lord is our banner. So let's have like little banners that people can like draw and like write scripture on and stuff. And and uh, as I was suggesting it, some of you know who this is, but I could see uh, one of our girls, her name's Cindy, Cindy Hong. She's an art teacher. And I could see her kind of like getting like kind of giddy. She's getting like excited. And I remember saying something like, oh, maybe, maybe this is too much. I don't know, arts and crafts. And I kind of said it like that. And she stood up and she was like, what's wrong with arts and crafts? Huh? Like, <laughs> and when I saw that, um, I mean, number one, I was a little afraid. Fear of the Lord came upon me. But, but then uh, after I saw, I think where she was coming from, I realized, man, you know, art, art, is very worshipful. It's a meaningful way to express, you know, who God is and, and it can shape and move uh, the masses to seeing who God is more. And I think this, this message kind of came out of that, that kind of heart. You know, maybe today you're an arts and crafts kind of guy or a girl. Do we have any artists in here? I'm not just talking about like drawing and painting. Writers are artists too. Um, rappers, you know, um, musicians. Like just show of hands. Anyone who just is an artist. Why are you afraid? Just, just really, I'm an artist, you know? Yeah. It, coffee, baristas, you guys are artists too. Uh, Subway, you guys make sandwich artists. <laughs> and that's what they call you. All right. Um, but maybe you're an arts and crafts kind of guy or girl. And, and this message is for you. Right. Uh, whether you're a writer or a finger painter, whether you're a worship leader, maybe you work with images, you know, with graphics. Maybe you're a photographer. That's art as well. Uh, maybe that's your medium of choice. Today, we're going to talk about art and we're going to talk about being a creative. I don't know why. Now I now I see why God put that on my heart because everything here is so artsy. Um, but we're going to talk about how to reclaim art. Right. So we only have three points for today. <laughs> only three points for today. <laughs> three points. Point number one, uh, we're going to look at the power of God in art. Okay. Point number two, we're going to look at the power of Sabbath rest. Okay. And point number three, we're going to talk about uh, the art of God or the commission of God. Right. And we're going to jump right into it with point number one, the power of God in art. 
Okay. Actually, I see some of you are writing it. So uh, point number one, the power of God in art. Point number two, the power of Sabbath rest. And point number three, the art of God, right? The commission of God. And we'll jump right into it. Point number one, uh, the power of God in art. Um, you, you know, any real art, it reflects the artist's like innermost beliefs, the innermost emotions of the artist. And, and to produce any real and meaningful art, uh, the artist has to go into a deep dive inward, okay, uh, to, to draw what's inside out. That's, that's like a pun. Draw what's inside. Anyway, and draw. Um, but real art is risk. Okay. Real art is vulnerability. And, and that's where the power of art, it, it really, it really lives there. Okay. Um, art is, we went to a, uh, kind of like a seminar yesterday at Daniel Prayer Garden. I saw some of you guys and, and he talked about the main speaker. He talked about the image of God and to image something is to take something that's invisible and to make it visible, to take something that's deep inside of you and to draw it out. Right. Um, I have some examples of what I believe to be some stirring pieces of art, some things that I really love. Um, first, we have a statue on this slide. Yeah, there we go. And this is, I love sculptures. Okay. And this is, uh, by an artist named Bernini. Okay. And it's, and his, it's called David. And when you look at this piece of art, like you look at his face, all the drama that's in capture there, he has a stone in a sling and it, this isn't just some stone in the sling. When you look at this piece of art, you, you see the very like fist of God cocking back, you know, and Goliath has no idea what's coming. Can you sense the drama that's captured here? And the fact that that's made out of like stone, man, the mounting tension that's about to be released. Like, do you get a sense of that when you look at this? It's incredible. Uh, next slide. We, another, one of my favorite painters, his name is Norman Rockwell, right? He's an American painter. And this is a piece titled the problem we all live with. Right. He's one of the most popular American painters. He was featured on Time magazine multiple times. And this painting, it, it depicts a real person. Her name is Ruby Bridges. She's a six year old African American girl on her way to uh, elementary school. It was uh, William France Elementary School, an all white public school on November 14, 1960. And it's during this desegregation crisis in New Orleans. And because of the violence that's like being you know, uh, threatened against her. She's a court, she's escorted by four U.S. deputy marshals. And the painting is framed in such that the marshals heads are cropped at the shoulders because they're not the focus. They're the, the, what is it? The headless mass of like, you know, United States kind of thing. And on the wall behind her is written the racial slur. I don't know if you can see it right above her head. It's the N word, right? And the letters KKK, there's a smashed tomato on the wall, right? And the white protesters are not visible, but you know that they're there. And, and we're seeing this from their point of view. It's powerful storytelling. This is like true art, you know, L many layers, multiple layers, an incredible portraying of emotion. And, and this painting, it actually shifted uh, much of America towards embracing the civil rights movement. When they, when some people saw this, they had never seen this kind of view before. And this is a very stirring piece, you know? Um, this is really on the spot, but can I call David up, the praise leader? 
right? Can we give him a hand as he comes up? Uh, he has no idea what we're gonna do. Um, could you grab your guitar? And uh, because this is the most requested song ever at church, uh, could you just play How He Loves Us? I, I just, yeah. And so as he's playing that in the background, you know, John Mark McMillan, uh, he actually wrote the song How He Loves Us, okay? And I don't know if you guys know the story behind How He Loves Us or How He Loves. Long story. Um, his best friend, right, Stephen Cuffey, he was a youth pastor at Morningstar Ministries. And on November 1st, 2002, during a church prayer meeting, uh, Cuffey and all the leaders that were there, and he prayed out loud, like he declared this, I would give my life today if it would shake the youth of this nation. And that night, that night, um, he was in a multi-car accident and he died of serious injuries. The very next day, John Mark McMillan, his best friend since childhood, he wrote How He Loves Us as a tribute to coffee and, and out of a need to have some form of communication with God. God, I am so much in pain. How is the gospel real right now? My best friend, oh, how he loves us. His frustration, his emotion is coming out over his best friend's death. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, and I'm just a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. And all of a sudden, I'm unaware of all these afflictions because they're eclipsed by glory. And I realize how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us. How he loves us all. So it's a deep cry of pain, actually. Needless to say, Art is very powerful. Music has a way of getting past boundaries that you might put up. It doesn't matter what logic you are. It doesn't matter how scientific you are. Music cuts through and there's a different logic that's accessed. And that's art. Can we give a hand to David over here? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, needless to say, thank you. Art is very, very powerful. Art, like real art, it's more than uh, expression of self, although it is a huge, that's a huge part of what art is. Art also frames for other people how to understand and how to think, right? Long ago, churches were filled with like stained glass and, and ornate paintings like the Sistine Chapel. Do you know why? Uh, it's because people back then, they didn't know how to read. And so the windows would teach them theology. It would teach them the things that they needed to understand about the gospel, the things that the church leaders wanted to emphasize, right? Art shapes understanding. Art shapes culture. It brings light to perspectives otherwise hidden or tucked away. It's Art is even like an apologetic, right? And, and it can even be considered like real-time inception, because you're taking what the artist is on and you're, oh, this is my thought, you know, and you're, you're becoming one with them. And it's powerful. It's very powerful because of the immediate effect on the mind and the senses. I mean, when, when David came up and he was playing the strings, your heart was moved, you know what I mean? And, and it's powerful. It shapes the way we think and understand our world. And the enemy knows this. Which is why the enemy uses art and marketing and media uh, to shape the way that we think. 
right? Uh, one more Norman Rockwell painting. Like, can you sense the struggle of this young girl? Uh, there's makeup on the floor next to her. There's a magazine in her lap with her favorite celebrity. There's a sense of wanting to be something, wanting to be someone, but falling a little short, right? It's powerful, man. Um, I have one video that I want to share. Today's kind of like a multimedia day, talking about art, got to be all artsy. So um, let, let's watch this video. Yeah. Um, no wonder we, can we bring up the painting again? It's the next slide. No wonder we all struggle to reach those kinds of standards because they're not real. And for those who are in pursuit of that standard, that bar, there's no rest. Um, you know, the devil knows the power and the effect of art, and it would be incredibly naive. It'd be incredibly foolish for us not to acknowledge that as well. And you ask North Korea, they know the power of art and symbols, propaganda and media enslaving millions. But so do Nike, so do Starbucks. So do Audi, you know, all major companies, they know what happens when they invest in good marketing and they know what happens when they don't. It can mean the difference between being successful and being bankrupt. You know, I, it seems kind of far, like, oh, these are major companies and stuff. Okay, they have all these tools. And, you know, the first time I saw for myself the power of an image and the way that it can shape people, um, back in like 2010, uh, I worked at a youth ministry in uh, Buford, Salt and Light. Some of you guys might know it. And I was a youth pastor there. And our pastor at the time, his name was Pastor Park. And, uh, you know, he, of course, he's well-respected, well loved, you know, and, and our senior pastor. Um, he's now in Ohio. But at the time, um, there were times where if you've been in a place for a long time, people tend not to see you as a figure or like, oh, give you all the honor, respect, you know, especially if it's your hometown. Um, by the way, honor Pastor Joe. You know, love that guy, encourage him, you know, and, and uh, tell him you're praying for him and actually pray for him. Um, but there was a time where I saw, I was going through his Facebook, <laughs> right? And I was like going through stuff and I saw this like picture of him like kicking a board. Okay. And I was like, dude, I got to do something to this. And so I took it. I started like photoshopping it, editing, filtering it. And I put like letters in red and, and it look, ended up looking like propaganda. Right. And I started showing people and, and, uh, we can go to the next slide. You know, things like that, you know, like, how dare you forget your Bible? And then like next, we also have like, this is so dumb. Let me show you the love of Christ, you know? Um, and, and lastly, you know, beast. Oh, there's one more. And, uh, you know, Nike didn't commission this, but you know, I just thought it fit. And, uh, and actually this is crazy. Things actually changed that church. People started showing him more respect. People started like talking about the image and going like, Oh, and he's like, Oh, Oh, oh yes, that's me. You know? And, and, and it's just really interesting how, yeah, the way we view things is shaped by art. I mean, they say memes help Trump win. And I believe that. You know, art is very powerful. Of course it is. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. At the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And throughout Genesis 1 and 2, we see God expressing himself through creation. 
and the world and everything he created, it's God's character that's displayed. It's God's like God's paintbrush. Like we paint with, you know, paint and with like watercolor and stuff. But God, his paintbrush is like life, you know, like boom. And then things are, it's incredible. And in Genesis, we see God exploding with creativity and energy to build and to craft, to construct and to create. And, and you know, everyone as to be an artist, to be a creative, it's to be have given a gift by God. Uh, God wanted to share with you that facet of his own heart and his own character. Um, but we have to be careful. Okay, we have to be careful. Because yes, art can free people, but art can also be used to enslave and distract uh, and cause worship not to occur to God, but to ourselves um, and, and to the art itself. Uh, so if you're an artist, if you're a creative, if you're gifted and skilled, whatever your art may be, like heed this warning. In Exodus chapter 31, the verses from today. It's the first mention of artists who are commissioned artists in the Bible. Uh, their names are Bezalel and Oholiab. Right? Um, and these men, according to Exodus verse 2, they're filled with the very spirit of God, with ability, intelligence, knowledge, all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to be goldsmiths, silver and bronze stone settings, so they know how to like do jewelry and stuff. Carving wood and, and to work in every craft is what the Bible says. And God didn't just give them the ability. He wanted them to share their anointing and to work together for the building of God's tabernacle. Um, if you guys don't know what the tabernacle is, you got to remember Israel is fresh from the Exodus. Okay, They just left uh, Egypt. And they're just in the wilderness with their tents. It was intense. Uh, with like camels and stuff. And, and they're carrying all the stuff. And they're just migrating across the land. And, and God wanted to make a what he called a tent of meeting. So it was a tent that would be in the midst of the camp of Israel as they're moving around and God would be in the center at all times. It was a place where the spirit of God would dwell. And it was, it's, everything is like a shadow of the things that were to come and, and how that's going to prefigure the temple, right? Which is not moving around with the people, but now people go to it. And then Jesus is the temple. Like my body is the temple. If we crush it down in three days, I'll rise again. And, and so the, the right, like timeline is, um, yeah, God in the tent of meeting or tabernacle into the temple, into Jesus. And now it's in the church. It's in you guys. God dwells in you. Um, and God was very clear about how he wanted the tabernacle to be built. What kinds of wood, what kind of metal, what kind of stones. But notice that he didn't say, oh, by the way, I want right when you walk in there to be an image of me, like a picture of me. Why is it that God didn't want the artists who are very skilled and filled with the spirit to make a representative of God, an artistic expression of who God is? Why not? Two reasons. First reason, God he can't be contained by any man's skill or art or ability, okay? That's reason number one. Reason number two, people will be tempted to worship the art and not God. That happens all the time. It happens even with cars. Like we make cars and everyone's like, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I see pastors lusting after this vehicle and not like seeing God who, you know, gave them the means to get it. Anyway, that's what happened with the golden calf, isn't it? People made a representation, an artful, skilled working of metal, not just a calf, but a golden calf. And all of Israel received the calf as a good representation of God, as a representative. And they thought they could worship God through it. But God wasn't pleased. God was anchored. Because the golden calf was not at all who God was or is. You know, have you ever been labeled something and you didn't like it? Have you ever been given a nickname and hated it? 
but it stuck and you just got to live with it. People used to call me Darmy back at my old church. Okay. Daniel army. Cause I was in the army for three years and there were three other Daniel Kims. Okay. Three others. And, and so the other two, they get to pick their name. One was like, Oh, just call me DK. And like, oh man, DK's taking it. Another guy was like, Oh, call me Dano. And it's like, yeah, I didn't want that anyway. But, but <laughs> and then they were like, what do we call you? I was like, well, if they're, if he's Daniel, he's DK, just call me Daniel. You know, they're like, no, 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 no. There's too many Daniels here. And so we're going to call you Darmy, Daniel Army. Oh, that fits you. And I hated that name. Right. It sounded like, I don't know. It sounded like female-ish, Darmy. I don't know. And, and it took a long time before people stopped calling me that. Now, why didn't I like it? Because I didn't feel like it represented me well. It was a name that people gave me more for their convenience. Not because they liked me or wanted to distinguish me more or honor me. It was for their sake, not mine. And it made me feel some type of way, you know? Because I heard it all the time. It was a reminder that people didn't really know me and they didn't really care. Because sometimes I'd be like, hey, I don't like this nickname. They're like, well, too bad. It's stuck, you know? And, and I just had to carry it. How much more so God? You know, when his name, when his image, when who he is, is misrepresented. And one of the takeaways of Exodus chapter 31, when read in conjunction with the next chapter where you see the golden calf, you see Bezalel and Oholiab, they're anointed and consecrated by God, commissioned by God to construct a temple and to do it with art and skill. But Aaron, in, in chapter 32, Aaron was also gifted. Aaron was also skilled in metalworking. But Aaron used his artistic ability and he used his skills to construct the golden calf and it led everyone astray. And all that to say, in any area, okay, it might not be art, but, sp- but I'm talking about art today. Giftedness is not enough. Your good intentions are not enough. Your sincerity is not enough. Your personal leading from God, your personal conviction, that's actually not enough either. Because you can be gifted and you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. That's Aaron. And the entire nation can applaud you. Everyone around you can celebrate you and even look like they're worshiping God with you. And it's entirely possible and it's actually normal that God is not there. You can't just be sincere. You can't just be skilled. You have to be surrendered. Your heart has to be in a posture that's in submission to God. In other words, you have to be right. You have to come correct. You have to be right with God. And that's the essence of righteousness, right with God. Right? Because the worship that God desires is both spirit and truth. And oftentimes people who are all the way into spirit, all the way into emotion uh, and feeling and art, they tend to compromise truth. Like, this is my truth. Um... But vice versa, those who are crazy into the truth side of things, they tend to give up on art and emotion and and allowing themselves to feel something, you know. But we need both because God is both. Let me ask you some questions for today. Are your skills and your abilities, your giftedness, is it surrendered to God? Is it surrendered to the Lord? Do you honor both spirit and truth. Are you a strong worshiper of God? And you might be like, well, we're speaking to a Korean audience. All of you are like, oh, I'm not as good as I should be or I'm not there. You know, um, are you a worshiper of God? Do you proclaim to be a worshiper of God, but you're a stranger to prayer? You're a stranger to like reading his word? Are you consistent in honoring scripture, but you don't personally worship God? 
You don't have really times of praise to him. Do you pray? Do you serve and love others? The scripture, do you go to scripture and it just makes your head grow or does it enlarge your heart for others? Do you use the Bible to be filled with knowledge and insight in order to pour out and to love? Or do you use your knowledge to like lord over people? Uh, Do you use the Bible to become the source of biblical knowledge and wisdom? Because that can feel nice. People come to you for advice. People come to you for counsel. But newsflash, you are not the source. God is the source. His word is the source. and, And you need to repent. We all do. You need both spirit and truth. So everyone, when you work and when you create, is it really about giving God all the glory? Or are you sometimes tempted to to glory steal? I see it all the time. I see it all the time. Like, Do you want to make it your own name lifted high, your own legacy? Or are you about God's? Because your heart posture between God, it can mean the difference between leading people to God's presence or leading them to death. It can mean the difference between tabernacle and golden calf. Do you know this? The enemy does, which leads us to point number two, uh, the power of Sabbath rest. This is going to be a quick point, um, but hopefully a powerful one. You know, right after God tells Moses and Oholiab, uh, right after God tells Moses about Bezalel and Oholiab and their commission to do work in art, right after all of that, all the anointing and the gifting of God's spirit upon them to construct the tabernacle, God starts talking about the Sabbath. Okay, everyone say Sabbath. Why? Why does God talk about all the work you got to do? And then he talks about Sabbath. I'll tell you why. It's because even though God gave them work to do, God did not want them to do it at the expense of Sabbath or at the expense of rest. Now, what does that mean? It means that in the midst of their work for God, uh, doing all this artistic work and craft and activity, all their sweat, God wanted them to not be so project driven that they forget about God. Because if you think about it, yeah, the artists are working for God, but God is the one who actually works for them. God delivers them. God rescued them. God gave them the Holy Spirit. God is leading them. God is inspiring them. And to take a break from something, some of you perfectionists, you need to hear this today. To take a break from something that you're obsessively working on, that's actually a statement of faith in God. And an acknowledgement that you are not God. You're not God. We live in an age of five-hour energy. We live in an age of red-eye, like coffee drinks. It's espresso with, like, inside coffee. You drop it in the drink. It's crazy. And, like, monster, you know? Why? It's so that you can push beyond your physical and, like, mental limits. It's an attempt to overcome your humanity and to tap into the divine. It's to become something more than you are. It's not that much of a stretch, if you think about it. But the more of these drinks you consume, the more your body breaks down. Why? Because you're not God. Because you have limits. And the Sabbath is something instituted by God for our good. It establishes the rest that we deeply need. But also it's a confession of faith that God is the only one who can work 24-7 without tiring. Not us. There's a commentator, his name's David Guzik, and he, he illustrates it like this. And I love this illustration. The difference between what Jesus has done for us and what we do for him is the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun is almost unbelievably larger than the moon, obviously. Yet, if the moon is in this like exactly right place or the wrong place, it's possible for the moon to eclipse the sun. 
And in the same way, Christians, some of them live in a constant state, totally eclipsing the Son of God, totally eclipsing Jesus, standing in front of him in that right or perfectly wrong spot. And it makes what they do for Jesus seem more important than what Jesus did for them. Guys, what Jesus has done for you 2,000 years ago, how he lived, died, and resurrected, that's actually more important than your calling today. That's actually more important than your future occupation. It's more important than your dreams. What he has done is far more important. It's far more important. I'm not saying your calling is not important. I'm not saying your dreams aren't important. But we need to place first things first and keep the main thing the main thing. And you're not the main thing. Is this true of you? Do you have this kind of heart? Is it about the work you do for God or is it about the work that God has done for you? Because when the moon is in front of the sun, all you get is darkness. But when the moon is positioned like in the correct way, even though a moon is just this dead rock floating in space, right? In orbit. In the right position and in the right relationship with the sun, and all of us are like moons, we're dead in and of ourselves. But when we reflect the light of the sun, it gives us power to, to govern the night, you know, and to shine. We're all moons. And the question is, where are, we, where are you standing in relation to God, in relation to the gifting and the talent that he's given to you? Uh, are you in front of him? Are you eclipsing him? Or are you reflecting him? There's a big difference between the two. And we all know what happens when, if, if an eclipse, if it, you know, because how long does an eclipse last? The moon is in front of the sun. Everyone's like, wow, I see it. Does it last like a year? Does it last 10 years? No, why? Why? Well, God ordained it that way. But imagine if it lasted 20 years. Imagine if it lasted 15 years. What would happen to the earth? All plants would die. Humans would die. There'd be like nuclear fallout. Not nuclear, but there'd be like a fallout. All this winter. It would just be crazy. No life would sustain. That's the same thing as you standing in front of God your entire life. Leading people to death. <laughs> planet of death. And some of you are like 15 years old and you haven't even for one day got, in, got out of the way of God. You know? Anyway, I'm just saying. Are you reflecting him or are you standing in front of him? There's a big difference between the two. And that leads us to our last point. Uh, the commission, the art of God. Right? Um, if you look at the words, the art of God, you could take the T, it's a cross, and then heart of God. Ooh, you know, um, <laughs> and I really struggled with how to like end this message. Um, and whenever it comes to sermons, I usually struggle when there's so many illustrations. I'm usually not illustration rich. I'm usually not illustration heavy guy. I like to do um, expository messages, you know, pick a book, go through it. We, we spent like two years in Genesis, you know, um, and it's like, I like to do that. Expository is exposing the truth of scripture. But the reason why is because I know the power of such illustrations to shift and to shape and to change people's hearts and minds. Um, I call them candy sermons because they, while they taste good, there's very usually little to no nutritional content, right? Uh, kind of like candy. And you don't want a faith that's based off of candy, you know? Um, because we all know rare candy versus real training, it's not the same, you know? Um, but if you've heard a sermon where you emotionally connected or where you laughed um, or where you cried during it, it's very easy to feel as though you grew spiritually, right? But that's actually not the case usually. That's not the norm. What do I mean by that? Uh, Hun vision. 
Don't leave this service thinking, wow, what a great sermon, uh, when you did not move any closer to God. Um, I hesitate to do sermons like today because of the way people can confuse emotional response with actual spiritual blessing and revival. If you listen to this message and all you got was, wow, a greater respect for art, you, you completely missed the point. Okay, completely. And, and I'm sorry to God. <laughs> and I'm sorry to you um, for being a part of that. Um, I'm going to call the praise team up. I don't know if they're used to doing this, but could you just play something kind of nice in the background? You know, um, this is where it all comes together. Every sermon... Every single sermon, it should lead you to a greater respect for Jesus. Every worship service should leave in your heart this deeper, greater desire to know God, a higher sense of awe and awareness of Him in your midst. Every message, every service should lead you to Sabbath. It should lead you to rest, like soul rest. And to want it, to proclaim it, to a place where there's contentment and peace, the very things that God has earned for you. But you need the gospel in order to do that. You need the gospel. Guys, when you take a look at the gospel, when we take a look at the gospel, like an honest look at the gospel, what do we see? We see the happiest person who have ever lived. We see the most innocent and brave and creative. If you think about it, God could have chosen to be any occupation he wanted. But he chose to become a carpenter. He chose to be an arts and crafts guy. He chose to be an artist, a builder, a woodworker, a writer too. Always reminding people of the book that he wrote, right? You see, Jesus was more than just a man. He had the biggest heart. He loved and he gave mercy at the deepest level. He went around and he preached the truth of who God really was. Because God was so misunderstood. People had labeled him as with the wrong nickname, with the wrong idea. And Jesus, he healed sickness. He cast out demons. He taught with authority. He welcomed even little children to himself, even tax collectors. Those who were caught in adultery, he did not condemn. And this man, this beautiful man with his hands, right? The same hands that created and formed you and I, the same hands that that formed the universe, his hands were held down and his palms. These are the palms that gathered the stars, the palms that gathered Israel in the Exodus, the open palms that made skins for Adam and Eve in the garden. These palms were forced open and they were held down. They were nailed down to a splinter piece of wood, wood that he himself created, wood that he himself carried upon his back, the same back that carried Israel, that carries you and I in our weakness. When we are too weak to walk for ourselves, this is the same back that Moses saw as the glory and goodness of God passed by him. And his feet, the the blessed feet, the same feet of the father that ran toward the prodigal son, the feet that carried the good news of the gospel, they were held down as nails were driven through them. The God of the universe, the God who quieted storms, the God who was the potter, the creator of all reality, the writer and the heart of sacrifice, of scripture, love himself, Jesus, 
Jesus, whose name should be lifted high by everyone. Jesus, as was lifted up on a cross, beaten, battered, torn, dying for the world that he came to save. As the carpenter who worked with wood his entire life would lose his life upon it so that he could recreate you and I. So that he could become the carpenter of our souls. You know, in the Gospels, there's a point where there's a man who's blind and Jesus walks up to him and and he's like, do you want to see? And the guy's like, yes, Lord, I want to see. And what does he do? He reaches down into the dirt, he spits on it and he puts it in his eyes. And then the guy is like, oh, I can see a little bit. And God keeps, you know, Jesus keeps doing it and then he can see. And in the English, I think we miss out on the connotation because we we see it as dirt. And we're like, wow, why would Jesus do that? But actually, in the original language, the word is clay. What is happening is Jesus is the potter. We are the clay. And when something's wrong with clay, what do you do? You grab more clay, you spit in it, and you remake it. And Jesus is showing how he's recreating the blind man. And he can recreate you today. It's in Christ that we can see the greatest self-expression of God, the highest arts in the imaging of God, who He really is. He showed on that hill for the entire world to see, for everyone to see. And it wasn't just the cross. The point is not only to see the cross, okay? That's only half of Christianity because it wasn't going into death. That was the greatest art, although it was part of it. It was was coming back. It was the resurrection. It was victory. It's his life. It's grace. It's grace. Grace in Christ is the highest, most expensive, most vulnerable, most amazing art that has ever been produced, ever been created. The way that it shapes and it frames the way that you view, not just yourself, but all of reality. It it shapes and it changes the way that you view yourself, everything. That's true art, right? And he did it, why? So that we can do this, if we can go to the next slide so that we can topple our giants, so that we can topple Goliath, so that we can put not just a stone in our sling, but the very fist of God cocked back to attack for the sake of his name, his glory, his expression through you and I. This is much larger than just Sunday church. It's, it encapsulates all of your skill, all of your passion, the very essence and the core of who you are. The light of God shining through you as his art is being expressed and proclaimed through yours. And he did it so that, next slide, we can never struggle with this again. Jesus died. His art produces and he redeems and restores all things in such a way that this will only be a memory. It'll only be a memory. So that we'll never struggle with this or with the next, with the next We'll never struggle with this again. We'll never look at something that we can never become, hoping to fulfill and to reach a standard that we cannot possibly reach. God laid down his life so that these will only be distant memories. But, you know, even in heaven, when all things are done, when there's no sin, we'll still see paintings like this one. We'll still see testimonies of God's grace 
and we will worship forever. So God even uses sin. He even uses our weakness. He even uses the desperate and dark and the deep messed up things of this world to proclaim the goodness of who he is as he gave his life to cover them. It's crazy. It's beautiful. And if you really see it, you cannot live and you cannot create art for anything or anyone else. You have to see the world in this way. You have to. This is what God died to show you. What is your art? And what is it that you're doing with it? Is it about you? If it's about you and you're standing in front of the sun, if you're a moon that's out of orbit, it's in the wrong place, it'll only lead to like winter. It'll only lead to death and destruction. But if you're placed in the right area and God is shining through you, man, you can govern the night. God will use you to do beautiful, beautiful things that you never even imagined. Because in a sense, not only is life the paintbrush of God, but you are the paintbrush of God. You are the pencil of God. You are the crayon and the finger painting of God to display the glory and the goodness of who he is to a world that does not know. That's the essence of Christianity. It's art and it's beautiful. Hanvision, may all of your skill, may all of your talents, all of your creative ability, your artistic expressions, not just be something that's pretty to look at, not just something nice to listen to, but point to Jesus. Image the invisible. And we sang earlier, less of me, more of you, God. All that really takes is a willing heart. If you are a crayon, if you are a paintbrush or a pencil, your job is not to get up on your own and start doing your own. It's to wait for the artist to come and pick you up and to use you. That's all it is. If, you're, if your color, quote unquote, is like blue, stop trying to be a white. Stop trying to be a, you know, a gray. Stop trying to be what other colors. Some colors are going to be used more, but that's okay. Because when you look at art, when you look at painting, you need all the colors to express you know everything right the most beautiful thing you can do is to go to God know him know you and to be you not don't don't try to be someone else honor God in your art let's pray thanks for listening to the Han Vision podcast we hope you were blessed join us next week on Han Vision.